0: Welcome to That's Absurd. Please elaborate. I am one of
1: the half of the hosts... Trace Dominguez. <laughs> and, and I'm the other one of the half of the host, Julian. That makes it sound like we're stitched together or something. Hey,
0: we've done videos like that. It's happened.
1: <laughs> we have. We have. The teleporter malfunctioned. I remembered that one. It was a really good, good time times. I like that one Good a <laughs> times. Those were the days. This is That's Absurd, Please Elaborate, the show where we take all sorts of silly, wacky, weird questions from each other, listeners, guests, and then we try and apply our researching science communication skills to actually finding a viable answer, if you can believe it. Sometimes the answers Sometimes. aren't that viable. No. <laughs> but we like do Look, it's all rest. made up, and, it, and the points don't matter anyway. That's but right. it is fun. Can't <laughs> things just be fun? <laughs> yeah.
0: If you want to submit a question for us to answer, you can look in the show notes for a link, or you can go to our website, that's absurdshow.com, slash ask to submit a question. You can also send it to us any number of other ways. We're on social medias and stuff like that. But anyway. We get our questions from listeners, from each other, and even from our friends and family. So please submit them because that's how we keep the show going.
1: Pin a threatening note to our door <laughs> with a knife, <laughs> and then you open it, and it's like, "What if kittens were puppies or something?" <laughs> like, oh, oh, what if hmm. kittens were puppies? No, we'll have to look into that. We we'll have to look into the science. So this week we've got
0: two questions from two different listeners. Uh, but first, I think we're going to go with Julian.
1: Julian, what is your question? I am so excited about this one because it was a total rabbit hole to follow. This is the question the uh, listener asked to remain anonymous, but they said, If I had some magic communicator to speak to someone in another galaxy, could I explain what left and right were? And I love it because it sounds so simple, doesn't it? You're just like, oh, left and right. Left and come on, oh, you man. know, you know what left and right is. And this listener elaborated further. I'd want to explain what left and right were to someone so that if we ever met, they would agree. The hardest case is someone in another galaxy with a magic communicator. I've thought about this for a while and once asked a physicist friend. I heard it somehow relates to CPT symmetry. I don't understand the T of that part, but that's probably not the most interesting thing to discuss on the show. And I like how they already kind of started doing the research for me. They're like, what's this? By the way, I've asked a physicist. And you're like, wow, you you did some legwork. I mean, that's more than what we do sometimes. <laughs> Uh, but it's it's such a great question, I think, because it does sound so deceptively simple, right? Like Trace, how would you define left? I mean,
0: it's the left is left. It's to, yeah. It's to my left. Go um, on. <laughs>
1: Julian. <laughs>
0: You, I oh, know. I know. Uh, <laughs> it's the left is the one where your finger and, and your thumb make an L.
1: <laughs> okay. Okay. What if I have no concept of the, the alphabet as we know it? Oh, then what? No. Oh, L- no. Right? is. Oh, I need. Also, need a, also oh, no. if, if I hold up my hands right and you're looking on the other side, which of my hands makes the L? It's the wrong one. It's the wrong one. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. So if I have
0: oh gosh there's got to be some universal way Look, to do, do this
1: do not feel so bad about it oh. because i i went to dictionaries you know just to see because i started thinking and racking my brain if i had to describe left to somebody who had no concept of it where would i even begin and it turns out like dictionary definitions that i found for this are terrible oh no
0: give me give me one what do they yes, say okay
1: Webster's defines left as quote of relating to, situated on or being the side of the body in which the heart is mostly located. What? What if I'm not human? What if, yeah, okay there's that. What if I don't I have x-ray vision or any knowledge of anatomy. How am I going to know where the heart is mostly located? And by the way, it's pretty much in the center. Just your left side of your heart is stronger because it has to pump blood through all of your body where the right side just pumps it through the lungs. That's why you feel your heartbeat more on the left. But the whole like, you know, being American, doing the Pledge of Allegiance and your second grade teacher's like, you put your right hand over your left side of your chest because that's where your heart is. No, that, no, no. That's, it's yeah, just your that's left right. side is stronger hmm. Anyway So I thought that sucked uh, And like you said What if you, you're an alien yeah. And your heart is somewhere else What if, here's the thing uh, Your alien body plan Isn't bilaterally symmetrical like a human's is.
0: Yeah, that's something I thought about when you were like, how do you define left? And my first thought was, if I'm defining it for something that's an alien, I can't Mm -hmm. assume bilateral symmetry because they may not have evolved from the same thing that we did exactly I mean the assumption is that that's the simplest way to evolve but that's just because we don't know we're just like oh well this is the simplest uh, we don't know that
1: yes yeah, exactly right like we see mostly on earth we see things either with bilateral symmetry right where you could like drop a, a plane down the middle of it and like on either side of it like a it's 737 drop it right down no, the middle I knew you were going to say that <laughs> yeah just drop a plane on a lobster and it's symmetrically <laughs> squished No, but like, you know, slice it right down the middle and the left side basically looks like the right side, right? Uh, Oh, crap, now I'm using left and right in the definition. Ah! But you know (laughs) what I mean. And then there's radial symmetry, right? Like a sea anemone or something where just like, you could, it's a a circle, right? You could put the plane in all sorts of orientations and still get that symmetry. And then there are things with neither of those, right? Just like a sponge Mm. or... Coral, you know, it 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 doesn't really have like it's it's an animal, but it doesn't have a symmetry in any of those dimensions, right? So I don't even know where to begin defining left and right with those. And this Webster's definition also assumes one heart. What -hmm. if you have more? What if you have fewer? I don't. I don't. That's not great. So Webster also has uh, more definitions, and and they just they just get worse, right? Webster's also defined left as Done with the left hand located near to the left hand than the right located on the left when facing downstream. That's when we're talking about the left or right left or right bank of a river that confuses people sometimes because they're like, what do you mean left bank? And it's like, "Okay, when we're talking rivers, you face downstream and then it's left and right or located on the left of an observer facing in the same direction as the object specified oh, which again God. we're assuming a face right <laughs> we're assuming that something yeah. that what we're talking wow. to can face a direction you know
0: what this reminds me of is the the thing where they're like okay we have to we have nuclear material and we need people 10,000 yes. years from now to understand yes. that this is dangerous we don't need to tell them what it is we just need them to know they shouldn't go near it and they shouldn't pick it up and carry it around How do you do that? Right. And this is like another way to think about that same problem, which is like there is no inherent meaning to anything. And to find it is absolutely maddening.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's an added layer of complexity because we're assuming that what we're telling, you know, 10,000 years in the future, that this stuff is radioactive and dangerous. We're assuming that's still talking to humans. Right. Yeah. So we understand a bit about, like, human behavior and what humans react to and what humans freaking look like, right? right? And the stuff they come up with is generally just, like, the most nightmare-fuel-looking, like, large, jagged stone pillars that, like... Lo- and to further drive it home, there's been discussions of some sort of code that translates to, like, what we keep here is not sacred or, like, what is here is disgusting to us, which mm. I've seen, by the way, somebody took and printed on the butt of those little short shorts that, like... Like, you know, oh, you usually just say like pink and I would like a pair. Just saying my birthday's coming up. I think they'd be cute. <laughs> it says disgust. <laughs> disgust. <laughs> what we keep here is not sacred.
0: <laughs> when we get a merch store.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, yeah, you're, you're, it's exactly what I'm thinking, and then add on the complexity of, like, we don't even have a clue what we're talking to might look like, yep. or, y- yeah, like the conditions hmm. of the planet that it's on. And so that brings me to, like, Oxford's definition, which I thought was a little closer to being useful, and you will you might see why, right? They, okay. they define left as on, toward, or relating to the side of the human body or of a thing that is to the west when the person or thing is facing north. Okay, so,
0: so yeah, that I get. I get why right. I I like that better. We can't assume that, you know, the planet that these aliens come from have that. But it is at least oh, a planet, right? We, right? It's at least a a sphere-ish oblate spheroid or something right. like that where we can
1: you you can yeah. start to relate And we're 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 putting these things in terms of stuff that's a bit more objective, right? Like I could tell that to other humans anywhere in the world, assuming they could understand the language and they'd they'd get what I'm saying. But exactly like you mentioned, we're making a lot of assumptions about the planet that these uh, aliens we might be talking to are on. Right. Mm -hmm. Like and, and facing again, we're talking about symmetry, but also like how do we define north? You know? Yeah. That, then it then it starts to get hard again. For us to be like, oh, you you see these stars above you, but for a planet in another galaxy, which is the specifics of the question, yeah. they don't have they those have constellations that? to reference, right?
0: right? Wow. This uh, is
1: hard. I, it's so, it's so hard. And then on top of that, right, like, we, we could say, okay, north is one of the axes that like the planet rotates through, you know, where like longitude lines come together sort of thing and... and That's, again, kind of tough, and then maybe we say, oh, west is where the sun sets, Mm. and now we're assuming that the planet rotates the same way. Right. Because Venus rotates the opposite way, so that instruction on Venus would actually make you think left is right. Right. Uh, uh, It's so frustrating. Correct. (laughs) <laughs> it's so frustrating oh also what if the the planet's axis isn't you know perpendicular to the orbital plane like mm, ours like, kind of is yeah, right yeah,
0: yeah 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 what if you live on like uranus where nailed it where it's like rotating because of an uh, some kind of ancient impact it's rotating kind of with the north pole if you will facing the sun
1: oh you're so smart and so educated and I love that you went right to uranus because you are correct <laughs> stop it don't laugh No, but like Uranus, I should say, in the fun-killing way. (laughs) Uranus is is tilted at 98 degrees, right? Like the Earth is 23 and a half degrees, and that's why we have like summer and winter like we do. Uranus is 98 degrees, which means it spends a quarter of its year, its orbit around the sun. With Nick Lachey. (laughs) (laughs) It spends a quarter of its year with one of the poles facing the sun so it doesn't matter that it's rotating right that sides in in sunlight and the other half is in darkness and then you know it goes around the sun and on the opposite side the reverse is true you know yeah so it's just an absolute nightmare and uranus also has a quirky magnetic field like our our magnetic poles are close to the axes of rotation right but Uranus's magnetic pole is offset 60 degrees. So that's not helpful you either. I can't use that either. <laughs> it's totally useless. So you might start to think like, what do we have any common ground, pun kind of intended? And the answer is yes. <gasps> we have to start thinking in terms of what is fundamentally true for us and for anything anywhere in the universe and the things that are true for that are the basics of mathematics, physics, chemistry. Basically, science can so, serve as a universal language. So
0: wait, are you about to tell me that I have to, in order to explain left and right, I have to figure out which direction an electron is going to orbit? or something?
1: Oh, <laughs> something oh like you're that. so on it. I hate how much that you know. I hate <laughs> how much that you know. But yes, basically, oh, but no. we'll get to that. We will get to that, right? <laughs> no. I love it. I I love love it. I love this too, because this is something that, you know, we're not the first people to think of something like this, right? When scientists realized that we were starting to make probes that would leave the solar system, Mm. we might want to come up with ways to communicate. And then they ran into this problem of like, how do you do that?
0: Yeah. How do you communicate with somebody with no shared? I mean, we had trouble communicating here on Earth with people who grew up here on Earth and were evolved here on Earth. Right. Mm -hmm. The reason the Rosetta Stone was a big deal was because we found the first time this like basis across different languages that had no basis together. You know, they they weren't from a shared a shared history. And so that's really hard to translate from. This is like a Rosetta Stone for another planet is not going to exist.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but the great thing is though that people have put thought and time into considering how would we make a rosetta stone for another civilization right yeah and how could we make one that will survive a a journey through space whether it's a physical object or a, a radio signal yeah so in 1960 Uh, There was a a German mathematician. His name was Hans Freudenthal. He published a book titled Linkos, Design of a Language for Cosmic Intercourse. Uh, I know, I know. Things in here are not sacred, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) I love that. It's like a guide on how to seduce aliens, which is clearly not... He means intercourse in like the conversational sense, not like the Captain Kirk sense. (laughs) Amazing, though. But I do love that. And it's probably like a translation issue, which again shows such limitations of language, oh, right? Like so I'm good. sure the German word for intercourse means exactly like conversation. And yeah, then translated. Yeah. It's like, ooh, <laughs> That's <so funny>. intercourse.
0: <laughs> and all the English and all the
1: English speakers are just like, hee hee hee, little teenage boys. <laughs> whoa there, Hans. Okay. But being a mathematician, right, he says, hey, like, mathematics is Fundamentally, the language of the universe, right? Mm. Like the, the symbols that might represent one, two, you know, equals, multiply, whatever, those are all arbitrary, but the things they represent are not, right? Like yeah. one object, two objects, these are universal. And you can take that as a foundation and then you can start you know, with counting and then expand to operations like addition, subtraction, multiplication, and you can keep building and building and building until you can establish a shared language based on mathematics, which is bananas. Yeah. So this book was pretty much not like utilized by anybody for a long time. I will get to later, though, when it was kind of dusted off again. Okay. The, The first actual practical attempts to have some sort of communication. That started with Pioneers 10 and 11, these NASA probes. A few months before launch, actually, somebody approached Carl Sagan and said, hey, this these two probes are actually going to have enough velocity to leave the solar system. What if we put a little message on there? And so... Carl Sagan, along with Frank Drake, who was a professor at Cornell, and Sagan's wife at the time, Linda Salzman Sagan, they started designing this plaque. And you've probably seen it. It's fairly famous. But just in case you haven't, I will drop a link to it in the chat right here. And uh, we can put that in our Instagram as well for listeners that want to actually see it.
0: Instagram is at That's Absurd Show. Also threads and other places. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen this. Yeah. So, go ahead and describe it. It's like uh, intergalactic porn. There's two naked people. uh, That's where you go right away, huh? Yeah, intercourse. That's where I'm going. It's intergalactic (laughs) intercourse. (laughs) That's
1: what it is. Intergalactic intercourse. Oh, no. Okay. I get it.
0: I get it, though. Okay. So, yeah, I've seen this before.
1: Right. So, this is a a pretty well known. Uh, depiction. Voyager gets a lot of credit for the golden record, but Pioneers 10 and 11 were the first that were going to leave the solar system, uh, even though they've been overtaken since then. And so we put this plaque on there. And when you start to analyze it, you can see a lot of the logic in what they were trying to communicate. So in the upper left, there are two atoms. They're supposed to represent hydrogen atoms, right? And the thinking was hydrogen is the most abundant element in the universe whoever we talk to who's going to find this if they're going to be able to like locate a a flying tiny object in space and grab it or whatever they're probably going to be familiar with chemistry and familiar with hydrogen right so the hydrogen atoms in the top left they've got you know the one proton in the middle and then the one electron because hydrogen's dead simple as simple as it gets for an element right and the electron you'll notice on the left it's pointing down and on the right it's pointing up yeah why is that Well, that represents how hydrogen can, the electron in hydrogen can change energy states and the spin can change up and down. And when hydrogen changes energy states, it emits electromagnetic radiation, which is what's true when electrons generally change energy states. Like when light gets absorbed and then re-emitted by an object, that's the electrons absorbing it, changing states and then changing back again and sending a photon off. So The wave, the electromagnetic wave that hydrogen gives off when it goes through this change is about 21 centimeters long. Mm. And the amount of time it takes to change between these two states is about 0.7 nanoseconds. And so that's going to be true here on Earth or on Mars or in another galaxy. Got it. So using that, we can start setting up a, a, a fundamental kind of metric for things so in between those two hydrogen atoms right there's a little line yeah and then there's a a binary symbol for one right yeah and so that's establishing like the distance of that wavelength those 21 centimeters that we're going to call just one unit nice so So they they were able to
0: use this fundamental part of nature to create a, a a a whatever one is going to be for this for this plaque.
1: Exactly. A unit of distance as well as a unit of time. So when you look at those two drawings of the the naked man and woman, the thought put into that was like, OK, you've got the guy waving, which is probably going to be meaningless to an, yeah. an alien civilization. But I think it's really interesting when you look at their postures, right? The, the man is more kind of upright and rigid, but the woman's posture is is tilted over to one side and more relaxed and the thinking was that shows hey our bodies are flexible like we can move you know Mm -hmm. we're not just like stuck in a certain position you you won't walk around you won't see everyone on this planet with their arm (laughs) with an arm and just standing there (laughs) a nice
0: 1960s or 70s comb haircut you know just like standing there
1: yeah, exactly. But also when you look to the right of the woman, you'll see there's little lines like denoting yeah, yeah, yeah. d- denoting the top and bottom. And then between those lines, there's a binary number for eight. Hmm. And that's going back to that 21 centimeter wavelength of uh, the hydrogen atom emission. And showing that, hey, uh, we are typically about this tall, right? Hmm. About eight of these wavelengths, which in, you know, freedom units, it's about five foot five, you know, about about a typical <laughs> right. height for a human female. Um, so then the other symbol on it, right? You've got that crazy kind of like explosion-y looking thing. Yeah. That's supposed to be a map to where our solar system is. Uh, it's tracing lines out to pulsars that we've discovered and pulsars are these you know rotating uh, neutron stars that are shooting out energy so they're kind of like giant cosmic lighthouses right. in space so we figure they're probably visible to other uh, civilizations so if we tell you how far away they are you know from, from us, us. in all these different directions and tell you like which pulsars we're looking at with the little ticks and symbols on there that represent like the pulsars period like how how often it sends out these signals you know how many times per second you can actually triangulate where our solar system is relative to all that.
0: Which, if you're a big sci-fi nerd, a lot of sci-fi, when they get into like, especially harder sci-fi, when they get into how they're, like, they've been teleported somewhere, right? It's always a, it's a trope in sci-fi, right? Oh, I was here, Ooh. now I'm over here, and an alien did this, and we don't know how, and they're like, but I don't, we can't find ourselves in space, and that's, mm-hmm. there. you can't use constellations, you use, typically what they're using is pulsars, and like, known yeah. pulsars, and so if as we go out into space, these are very much like lighthouses that can show us where we are you know where we are in our in our random location that this alien has dropped us so if we see pulsars and we don't know any of them and we don't know any of their their energy periods then we're in a strange part of space which is pretty cool yeah.
1: they can also show us when we are because pulsars, they the signal degrades and you know they, the period changes over time. So when we send this probe out into space, it's going to be traveling for a long, long, long time before anybody else probably ever finds it. If they find it, right, we can you can even figure out based on how these signals from the pulsars have changed and how much time has passed since this probe was sent out, which is pretty freaking. That's cool. pretty cool. And then lastly, there's the actual image of our solar system. We show that we're, you know, the third planet. This was back when we thought we had nine planets. Sorry, Pluto. R.I.P. And then uh, the little arrow showing, you know, the Voyager probe shape and how we we shot it off from there. And the arrow, by the way, was a source of a lot of criticism because it was (laughs) like, what if they don't understand what an arrow means? (laughs) I remember that. It's so hard to, like, recognize all the assumptions that you make whenever you try this kind of communication. Yeah. So that was Pioneers 10 and 11, which was pretty cool. In 1974, we actually sent a dedicated, like, radio blast out into space. This was again Frank Drake. Uh, Frank Drake is a, a prominent like member of SETI's Search for Extraterrestrial uh, Intelligence Institute, and he's the guy behind the Drake Equation that mm-hmm. represents like the probability that there's intelligent life, you know, in in the univ- in the galaxy, or something. So pretty well-known guy he devised this uh, image that was encoded in mm. binary so you like bitmap it oh fun. And he sh- yeah he shot that out from the Arcebo uh, radio telescope in Puerto oh, Rico R-R-C-Bow. in 1974 R-I-P-A. yeah I know rip damn it uh yeah and it was aimed at a globular cluster of stars that's 21,000 light years away so it won't get there for uh yeah, quite some time yep. but anyway I shared with you again the image and we'll Put it in our Instagram and elsewhere on social media. Trace, can you describe what that looks like? Yeah, it's like, okay. Um, Firstly, it looks like an old school video game
0: from like the 1990s. So it's just kind of 8-bit graphics actually even worse like atari almost it's yeah it's more like atari 2600 so so simple um there's i'm gonna start in the middle even though that's not really the (laughs) best place because that's where my eye is drawn because there's a little person a little red person and i can tell Mm -hmm. it's a person because i know what people look like it's got a little head it's got shoulders and arms and legs um but then around it i don't even know this looks like something from commander keen or you know (laughs) one of those like games from the old ibm compatible it's like uh some white pieces at the top and then another little red thing that could be like a guy going yeah and then uh but only the top half of it and then a bunch of green things which kind of look like the aliens from what what's that from uh, missile command oh, or whatever yeah space invaders yeah space, space invaders, invaders. Yeah. uh yeah that's it and like then there's like uh, some waves which i hope are waves and then based on what we just learned, maybe there's a period here with like a two little blue dashes and a little I, another mm-hmm. blue dash. And then there's another what might be some kind of wavelength or something below that. It's just some different size lines. And then below that is a big purple thing that looks like an M. Yep. Yep. But, I mean you
1: described literally what's there. But yeah. But it, what's actually do you want to know anyone what listening, it's supposed to be? I'm sorry. It's very confusing. <laughs> <laughs> Here's what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be the Arecibo telescope itself. Okay. Our solar system. DNA. A stick figure of oh. a human, you nailed that part. And then biochemicals of early life. Oh. The green yeah. bits are the biochemicals? I I don't know. I don't know. I oh. stared at this thing for a long yeah. time and I'm like, some of it, yeah, maybe, and others I'm like no idea. Don't feel bad though because uh Drake actually mailed not even the image. He he mailed the, you know, binary uh actual message. To a bunch of his friends, including like Nobel laureates, to see if they could decode it. Almost none of them had a freaking clue what to do with it. One person realized like, oh, it's a binary bitmap, and after that, like still couldn't figure it out. But
0: so okay, Drake, look, (laughs) I you are a very prominent and important person in our scientific world. But there are there are four different colors here. There's You could argue more because it's white, black, red, green, blue, and purple. Um, Mm -hmm. Just decoding that, like, what does red mean? To us, it means something because our blood is red. We have these, like, connotations. But, like, you send it to an alien, red could mean, like, you know, I hate you. Red could mean, could be sacred to them, and you've besmirched it. Like, you have no idea what these colors mean, you know?
1: I mean, again, assumptions, we got to go even deeper. We're assuming that they have... Eyes, yeah, and that these eyes also see the same wavelengths yeah. that we see. You're, you're right; uh, that's totally uh. true.
0: And we're assuming not only that they understand binary but that they can decode it the way that we have encoded it Mm, which i mm. don't know if that's a universal i'm not a computer scientist so i wouldn't assume it's a universal way to encode anything that it was a choice that we made based on how we invented computers and how we came to them you know i don't know
1: well you know binary the advantage is it's it's mathematics right Right, so and it's base two so it's easy to send as a radio signal it's like on is one off is zero so like you, you But maybe you can figure it out that way. But then what the actual images themselves mean? Probably not. And, you know, the question says we've got a magic communicator, so we don't have to worry about aliens like not catching the message. Mm. But this thing took like less than three minutes to beam out. So if something wasn't there listening, pointed in our direction for these three minutes when this signal is going by, it's just going to it's going to blow right by them, and they're not going to catch it. That's it. Right. Hmm. Then we had Voyagers 1 and 2 in 1977. Uh, They had the Gold Records. The records also have, uh, along with sounds of people greeting each other, it's also got sounds of, Dolphins and apes, because andrewian When Carl Sagan said, "I want to make something with a lot of human greetings," she said, "Why just human? What if it's easier for them to interpret some other animal languages?" That's a good. Good. Break yeah. out of those assumptions. Yeah, exactly. And then it's got 115 images uh, encoded on it in like an analog format on this record, so wow. you could possibly get. Yeah, it's got Chuck Berry, rock and roll. So that's I nice. Know that's that. fun. Yeah, yeah. There's love that
0: line from The West Wing where it talks about if it's ever found. There is uh, the recording of Wet is the Night, Cold Was the Ground by Blind Willie Johnson, who died penniless in his house that was burned down. And, you know, it's just like we put a lot of human on this on this record. Yeah, we
1: really did. We did. Dark Um, was the night, cold was the ground. That's it.
0: Yeah, it's a great song. Look it up.
1: I'm going to have to. I don't think I've heard it. I'm going to have to go and get me a copy of the Voyager record. See if oh, they sell it anywhere. I'm sure,
0: I'm sure they do. I'm sure they At do. At this
1: point, it must oh, be. Yeah. I'm sure. Definitely. That would be, if you're a vinyl nerd, because vinyl nerds love being vinyl nerds, I think that's the <laughs> ultimate <laughs> like trump card. Yeah. You're like, wow, you've got an original pressing of the White <laughs> Album? That's cool. I've got the Voyager record. <laughs> the original. <laughs> <laughs> I went out and got it. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I think the most productive, like most well thought out way of trying to establish some sort of language that we can communicate with extraterrestrials finally was thought out in 1999. Oh. So, in uh, around this time period, there was like a little crowdfunded effort called the Cosmic Call. And they were going to try and, first of all, the company behind it, which is based in Texas, was going to try and make a solar sail that would, like, fly out in 10,000 years, carry samples of, like, DNA and all this stuff to other uh, extraterrestrial, extrasolar places. Uh, But before that, they're like, why don't we send a radio message? And they crowdsourced Uh, you know, funding and they said, hey, if you give us some funding, we'll put, you know, an image of yours in in the message or some message, some audio, whatever. Right. And so they're putting this together and it gets the attention of a Canadian astrophysicist named Ivan Doodle. And Doodle goes, aliens aren't going to have a freaking clue what this means if you just if you just blast this out there with nothing.
0: (laughs) You're just blasting noise at them.
1: Just shooting gobbledygook. Right. So he contacts the people behind it and says, hey, I'm an astrophysicist. Can I make like a preface to this call that you're going to send out. And they agree. He gets uh, another Canadian physicist friend of his, Stéphane Dumas, involved. And they actually go and they check out that book of intercourse that we talked about earlier, that one from 1960. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They were the only people who had ever checked it out from their university library. Oh no! (laughs) They said it was the most boring book they'd ever read. It was also, by the way, the original title. It was part one, and the author never wrote a part two. Oh well. So I think even he kind of the library. I think even he gave up on it, right? (laughs) So they they trudge through this, and they come up with their own kind of system of symbols that they could send out in binary on like a radio call, and they're really trying to make it resistant to noise like other cosmic signals kind of interfering with what they're sending out but they also designed it so when you actually put the the bits of binary together if you made if you turn them into like 127 you know pieces of information by 127 it'd be like a, a page uh, a square page and it would form these symbols these glyphs and the hmm. glyphs are uh designed so they can't be mirror imaged and be another glyph and they can't be um you know turned like the wrong way or anything they're supposed to be like totally unique and and so they used it to start setting up on the first page like basic math they have like a single dot and then they have their symbol for equals and then they have four binary digits you know Hmm. to equal one and then they have the equal symbol again and then they've come up with like a number one Hmm. symbol and they do this for like up to 20 And then they start on the next page defining like mathematical operations, multiplication, division, just like this German mathematician said, like we can do this. And it starts to get more and more complex. They start representing like chemistry, chemical elements that they'd be familiar with. They start telling these aliens that might get this signal details about the earth, like the composition of it based on these chemical elements. And it just builds and builds and builds. By page 15 of 27... no 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 there are 23 pages okay. of this and by page 15 there's an image included that you might find familiar <gasps> which i will drop in the chat and i'm sure we'll put on our hey, social media it's our naked hey, friends it's our naked friends again but, but now, she's like- smiling this time it doesn't have
0: a nose <laughs> weirdly
1: <laughs> Again, we're dealing with like binary digits, right. so like there's only so much detail you can have, right? That's cool. And you can you can see her height now is represented, but using these numerical symbols that they've come up with. And then, what I thought was really clever: if you look to the left of the man and woman, there's like dots that Mm -hmm. are falling, and that's supposed to represent the direction that gravity pulls on us towards the Earth. So you can tell, like, which way for us is, like, you know, up or down. Right. Exactly.
0: I assume also, just sorry to jump in there, I assume also that the gravitational acceleration is accurate. So it's
1: I didn't find that, but I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah,
0: if you looked at this, one would think you would be able to calculate on some level, you know, maybe some approximate how our gravity must... Work and how much of gravity we have. I don't mm-hmm, know. I, mm-hmm. There's a time, so I'm not sure. But anyway, yeah. that's neat. That's yeah. really neat.
1: But you ex- you've got the right idea. You like you can start actually getting really complex, and then by the last page, there's just a bunch of questions. It's like, hey, tell us about yourself. What's your mass? What's your height? Like that sort of stuff mm-hmm. using the symbols that they've established. Cool. So you could mathematically eventually get to a point to discuss all these things, and these these two Canadian researchers actually spent months you know figuring out how to do that with these symbols and then they blasted it out they picked nine fairly nearby stars uh like it'll take 50 to 70 years for the signal to reach these stars and they sent this code it, the the preface the preface for the call uh is like a four hour long transmission and they send it very slowly like a hundred bits per second in order to make sure That the signal doesn't degrade and then the actual call Itself with all the images that got crowdsourced And funded and stuff is like Way higher uh, like bit rate So it's way more prone to degradation And they sent the, the preface out Multiple times so you could decode it And then the actual call itself like once You know <laughs> so, <laughs> so like really out, the preface yeah. Ended up being a lot more important <laughs> it you <know>? seems like, <laughs> But yeah it shows that Eventually you can get to this point where You can assuming that they are Are advanced enough to have chemistry And mathematics, which if they're Receiving this signal, they should be You could get to a point You have to make some assumptions about what they can do And and can see in their senses and stuff But eventually, you could get To a point where you could discuss complex Things, which leads us to Particle physics and CPT symmetry that our anonymous Uh Askers physics friend Actually brought up (laughs) Basically, right, like In particle physics, there's these laws of symmetry and we used to think that they were immutable right like charge symmetry parity symmetry time symmetry like if you if you ran something in time in reverse you know it should just happen in reverse like you'd expect like rewinding a videotape right the one we're going to focus on is the parity symmetry and that's basically like a mirror image image symmetry. Uh, The analogy I like is imagine, okay, so we've got a clock, right? All the guts of the clock work so that when the clock is actually running, the hands tick clockwise around the face of the clock, right? Right. Now, imagine you built the mirror image of this clock. You just took all the components and you built the mirror version of it. And when it's running, the clock should run counterclockwise, because right. everything inside is mirrored, right? right? So that's parity symmetry. So in 1956, physicists thought that all of these symmetries were immutable, that everything should apply, you know, charge, parity, time reversal, should all all be symmetrical. And a physicist uh, named Chen Cheng Wu, she's a Chinese-American in 1956, showed with an experiment that that is not the case. <gasps> that, yeah, she took a cobalt-60 atom, which has a spin. So, you know, it's an analogy. It's not perfect, but you can think of it as like a spinning top. She polarized it magnetically. And then cobalt-60 is an isotope that decays. It undergoes beta decay. And when atoms go through beta decay, they spit out either an electron or a positively charged electron, a positron, right? These are these are beta decay particles. So when this cobalt atom was spinning and it decays, the electrons that it shoot out go in a certain direction. Mm. So Wu showed that even if you change the direction of the spin, when it decayed, the beta decay particles still shoot out in the same direction they did when the spin was the other way. So that violates parity symmetry. Yeah. It shows the universe has a preference for which direction things go in, like left or right. And finally, it lets you definitively say (gasps) that a certain direction is left or right, no matter what. You could communicate with these aliens and say, hey, check out a Cobalt-60 isotope. Observe the direction that stuff shoots off of it, and that is, quote-unquote, left or whatever. Yeah. You know? So yes, (laughs) to answer this anonymous asker's question, you could define left or right if you established a universal language based on mathematics and then both came to an an understanding of particle physics and quantum physics and communicated that to them.
0: Wow. Oh, my God! And then gosh. they would
1: know what left was. So suck it, Oxford Dictionary. Yeah. Suck it, Webster's. I like my definition better. Your left is what's more on the left is terrible. I hate <laughs> it when <laughs>
0: definitions define themselves using the word that they're trying to oh, define.
1: Oh, Ugh. the worst. The worst. What so is we've big? solved Big that. big things. Oh. <laughs> wow. Wow
0: cobalt 60 who knew was there the whole time thank
1: you woo i mean i love the looking into this question was just like mind-blowing upon mind-blowing like ah so cool i never wanted to be
0: a woo girl before but now i
1: definitely do but you know big time woo big time woo heads over here big time (laughs) fans of woo wow Uh, amazing jeez
0: i don't even have any questions that was amazing thank you julian and thank you anonymous question asker let's take a quick break and everybody just like clear their head for a minute and we'll come (laughs) back with another
1: question if you've turned into this Turned into it? You've (laughs) turned into one. You've turned into a science comedy podcast. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, no. I'm a podcast. Am I going to be late to work?
0: If you're tuned into this science and comedy podcast, chances are that you are someone who loves learning and having a blast while doing it.
1: If it wasn't clear, Trace and I are the same way. We thrive on learning new things because it not only enriches our lives, helps us learn new skills, but also makes us really cool at parties. Is that what we are at parties? Aren't we? We are, right? We're cool. I
0: mean, when you're at my house and I'm at your house, definitely, but like, oh. other
1: houses. Anyway, (laughs) this is all to say, I am super excited about our new sponsor, Brilliant. Yay. Can I kind of get a little like, you know, in my feels for a second? Oh, yeah. Get those feels. Elaborate, please. Hey, I see what you did there. I am exactly the kind of person that Brilliant was made for. I have always been interested in math, physics, computer science. When I had the chance to study these things in college years ago, I was also really intimidated by them. Yeah. And I avoided taking these classes and honestly i regret it i'm going back now i'm taking classes at my local community college i'm loving it yeah But with a family and work, traditional classes like that, I'm finding them really hard to actually fit into my life. So I was really excited when you told me that Brilliant was going to be a sponsor. That's awesome, man. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. If you don't know what it is, by the way, out there. It's an interactive learning platform with so many lessons on topics that I always wanted to explore, and I can do them at my own pace, on my schedule, and in a way that keeps me engaged. You
0: can learn by doing on their website or with their mobile apps. And there are thousands of different interactive lessons in STEM subjects all across the platform. Their
1: lessons are engaging and interactive.
0: You can brush up on like algebra or advanced math, multivariable calculus, differential equations, computer
1: science, python programming. You can even learn about cutting edge stuff like large language models, neural networks, the things that are powering AI today.
0: Large language models really big right now.
1: <laughs> large language models. You can learn large language <laughs> models. <laughs> <laughs> it's only Gaelic though The large language that you can learn is Gaelic Yeah, ship that I'm in We can finally communicate with the Scots
0: <laughs> Okay, well, but anyway Wherever you are in your learning journey, there is a brilliant course that will help you get to the next level or, you know,
1: just be basic enough to get you an understanding that you can go and work with. Yeah, they're always adding new courses too. They just launched a ton of lessons focused on analyzing data. That's
0: cool. That's really cool. I
1: think the world would be a better place if everyone had to take a stats class.
0: Oh, totally. And
1: if you haven't taken one, Here's your chance.
0: You could just go take a statistics class and make Julian so, so happy. I would
1: appreciate that. Try it out. You can try Brilliant for free for 30 days. Just visit brilliant.org absurd or click the link in the show notes.
0: Once again, that's brilliant.org absurd. When you sign up, you'll get 20% off the annual premium subscription, and it supports the show, even just trying it out.
1: So go ahead Check it out. Maybe get sucked into a few lessons. Trace and I are going to be here with the rest of the episode when you get back. If you get back.
0: Oh, I hope you get back.
1: They come back and they know more than us about everything. <laughs> They're just like, these guys are idiots. <laughs> their brains are the size, the huge <laughs> brain coming out of their cranium. I've absorbed all knowledge. Why do I
0: listen to this podcast of dummies? I
1: have no time for your absurd <laughs> antics.
0: But I would definitely take one on large language models <laughs> a cool.
1: Scottish AI robot that
0: nobody can understand. <laughs> Setty, turn on the lights! (laughs) Setty!
1: I'm the burglar alarm.
0: (laughs) It supports the show. It'll be great.
1: Welcome back to That's Absurd. Please elaborate. We are going to pick up where we left off with Trace's question from a listener. So, Trace, what uh, what did you dive into an answer for this episode? Whew, okay. I hope that your
0: brains can take it because the the previous answer was a lot. But this one was, we thought both of these were going to be really simple. <laughs> and then it turned out <laughs> neither <laughs> of them were simple. So 2024, <laughs> bringing it hard.
1: <laughs> for clarity, like, we're recording this during, like, right before our Christmas break, and, and Trace and I were like, I want to make sure that, like, we don't have to do anything over the holidays. Let's just take it easy. Let's pick <laughs> some ones. We'll just knock out real quick with a fun little record, and then it turned out to be this. But hey, you know who actually worked during her Christmas break? That, that was Wu. Wu. Wu did that experiment. So we, we can't complain. We cannot complain. Right. She, like, literally changed particle physics on her break. We can answer a simple question or two. That's right. So
0: my question comes from MoMA and MoMA asks, how would life have evolved if earth was two or three times smaller? Oh Yeah, really interesting.
1: I I can tell you off the bat that's going to be complicated. I'm surprised that you were like, easy. I thought it would be really simple. (laughs) So MoMA goes on
0: to say, a couple of times I thought about how weaker gravitational forces could have made a difference in technological advances of humans, but I always neglected the fact that a smaller planet would be such a strangely different place for life to evolve at all. And MoMA, you nailed it right out of the gate for that. That is true. The world would be Completely different. It's not the simple, simple that I thought it was going to be. So basically, Momo wants to know if Earth was half the size, how would that have changed how life
1: evolved? Que- question. Yes. Question. When we say half the size, like in, in what actual metric Great. is our size Excellent. changing? Yes. So the reason
0: this was so hard for me is because of somewhat of the vagueness there, which it doesn't feel vague. Like if you go to somebody and you're like, oh, what's if I had half of if I had half the size of that bread loaf, what would that mean? And Mm -hmm. you're like, "Okay, cool. I'm Mm going to split it in half. But when it comes to astrophysics, there are so many variables here, Uh, like half the size could mean just half the mass and the same Mm -hmm. volume. Um, So less density, half the size could mean literally you've got half the mass. That you had before, but how much space is that mass taking up half the size could mean the same amount of stuff, but it's squeezed into a smaller volume because no, there are no. so many variables and I am not super confident in math. Uh, <laughs> I had I had a real I spent probably three days trying to figure out all of this stuff. I recruited chat GPT, which did not help <laughs> at all. I so asked an when, astrophysicist but he was really busy because I don't know if you heard about space lasers but
1: he was working on that space laser thing uh, with sending he couldn't, video. Couldn't be bothered. Oh, it was just <laughs> like wow it was a lot. It was a well, lot. So what you're saying is when the mathematical universal language from our alien friends the reply comes back <laughs> you should not be manning the station that <laughs> receives right. it and decodes it is <laughs> I, what I'm hearing. Yes
0: that's true. I think we all know that from the way I described the 8-bit <laughs> <eight-bit> image. <laughs> hey
1: guys he sent a he sent
0: sent a little red fella with is, the purple is Atari
1: dome. <laughs> is Atari he said, oh, oh my Atari, god guys oh you got space invaders up there <laughs> actually that's a good question to ask them can you imagine the garbled <laughs> do you have space invaders and they're like they're coming to invade us and then oh, they invade no. us. so anyway here's what I've got basically
0: I, I looked more closely at MoMA's question and they mentioned gravitational force being weaker so i was like okay Mm -hmm. so we know it's a weaker gravitational force in order to have a weaker gravitational force we have to have less mass Mm -hmm. i mean not entirely there are other ways to have weaker gravitational forces you know but we're not gonna get into it it's just way too much (laughs) so they also said if earth was two to three times smaller so we have a couple of constraints on our variables here so earth is a smaller size i i took that to mean a smaller volume It's also two to three times. I picked two because it's easier for my brain. So I said half the radius. So if our volume is halved and thus our mass is equivalently reduced, what would happen to the planet? So first I had to figure that out.
1: Yeah, what I'm imagining You ever go to like a science museum Which I hope people do regularly Because they're so fun But you ever see like the giant chairs that they have Or whatever sometimes And they're like This chair we scaled up all the dimensions by three But the mass is actually way bigger Because things don't scale evenly like that Yes And and I'm just imagining factoring that into an equation To calculate gravity Is just going to make everything a mess It's
0: going to make everything a mess Because gravity isn't as intuitive As we might feel like it is Because we're under it all all the time um so mm. what i did is i looked up and found newton's law of universal gravitation which is little g which is to say the gravitational force you're feeling okay equals big g which is the gravitational constant universal throughout everything we know uh mm-hmm. times mass and that so it's big g times mass over the radius of the thing squared
1: okay so okay so the things that that matter are the mass of the objects that's pulling on you mm-hmm and ra- radius from what, center of the object? Radius
0: from the center of the object, correct. Okay, so yes. the
1: distance the distance you are from the center. So the more massive it is, the more gravity you feel, but then the farther away it is, the less you feel.
0: Right, exactly. Thank you for explaining that. That was great. So now Earth, our radius is 3960, 3,960 kilometers. And so then if we have that, we get to 1,980 kilometers, and we would have to have a name for that. So I was trying to come up with some. So I came up with... Uh, halfling Earth. Um, mm-hmm. Cute. Hobbit Earth. Adorable. But I think my favorite is We Earth. We uh, wee Earth. It's just a We Earth. Just a wee little Earth. We got a wee little Earth there. So we got I... We Earth and we got Now Earth. So <laughs> <laughs> we need to find the mass of We Earth. So we're going to calculate the volume of a sphere, which is V equals four thirds pi R cubed. Um, okay. I'm not going to go through all the math, but if you want to see it, just, you know, send us a message. I'll do, I'll do my best. But basically it comes out to... We Earth is about one eighth the size of now Earth.
1: What, what, oh, it, sorry, it, in in, in volume, mass in volume. in volume. Okay,
0: so the volume of the sphere ends up being reduced to one eighth the size.
1: That is a wee Earth. It's such a wee little Earth. This is so, uh, we'd live so much closer if that were the case. It'd be so nice. (laughs) It would be nice. And so now
0: if we want to find the mass and we assume the same density. So we're assuming that Earth has the same density as we Earth. Um, Okay. So mass is volume times density. So again, works out to. So it is one eighth. Yeah. Yeah. Also an eighth. Easy peasy. So we Earth is a one eighth mass, one eighth volume, sphere-ish thing. So anyway, let me just get to the thing that we need to know which is little g equals big g times mass over the radius squared the gravitational acceleration and this is where i got really messed up and had to ask everybody for help because it's Mm. half according 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 to the math it's exactly half
1: wait it's just half it's half
0: so even though it's a one-eighth sized we earth in terms of its volume and one-eighth of mass. mass
1: of original earth it is somehow half Oh my, god, I just actually, I realized I probably could have gotten to that really quickly based on the, the formula you gave, right? Like big G times mass over radius squared. Well, if mass is one eighth mm-hmm. and radius is one half squared, so one fourth, Right, it would be like one over eight times four. <laughs> yep, which is one over two. It is just one half. It's just half. It's half. That was a long walk.
0: <laughs> it was a long walk to get For to a very f-
1: simple result. <laughs> roughly
0: four point nine meters per second squared. That,
1: per second, so that's that's the sec- acceleration you yeah, feel. Yeah, the acceleration due to gravity being pulled towards the earth. So and so I thought
0: I, this cannot be right. And so I redid it several times. And like I said, ugh. I'm so just not confident in my math. But so fun question. You want to reduce the mass of Earth and you want half of the mass of Earth to go away. How, okay. how much smaller is the Earth going to be?
1: Is it, like, negligible? It's 20%. It's only 20% oh, smaller. That's not that bad.
0: No. So it's about one-fifth smaller, but it's still, like, mostly a big planet, whereas mm-hmm, if mm-hmm. you want to reduce the mass, or if you want to reduce the radius, you're reducing it a ridiculous amount. So it's just, yeah, like, because of the way of the mass. MoMA asked the question, we ended up with this teeny little wee Earth. Mm-hmm. So that is a long way around to say you have a planet that is much smaller, about one-eighth the size... And it has about half of the gravitational pull that you're feeling at the surface. So uh, we need to talk about it in a slightly different way than if you just went out and Googled this, which I appreciated from MoMA. Because most of the people, when you just go Google these things, they say, if we shrunk Earth, which is to say we either compressed it or we cut it in half or we do something to it. And in doing that, we're changing a planet that already has life on it. And MoMA is asking, what if it formed that way? how would life have evolved, right? Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And
0: that's where we end up with our problem of trying to answer this question because one, there is no way to know, right? There's just no real way to know exactly what this this random planet would have had happen. Uh, However, let's talk a little bit about planetary formation. So just to give you a little background, Julian, can you tell me how planets form? Uh, Please answer in the form of a haiku. (laughs)
1: Oh, God. Okay. I've got one. Um, I've got
0: one. But I... Hold on. No,
1: no, no. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. <laughs> Dust gathers disc-like, forms by accretion to balls, sphere shapes take over... <laughs> <laughs> That I think for an impromptu haiku, an impromptu good. coup, is, that is not bad. That's pretty good. So here's what I got. I have... By the way, I I hate you for throwing that at me out of the blue. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you for that. Okay. okay so Did you write here's... this or did you find this?
0: No, I made this up. Here's oh, what nice. I, here's what I got. Here's what I got. Accretion disk spins, coalescing gas and dust, forming a planet.
1: Wow. Thank you. We had a lot of overlap. A there. lot of overlap.
0: I really teachers, I was really happy to hear the overlap.
1: Yeah, the teacher would definitely check our homework and be like, I think they might have copped each other or something. Love uh-huh. the word accretion. Great word. Solid it is vocab great. word. And it has
0: a lot of syllables, which is fun for a haiku try and fit That's what there. I was thinking. Like like that's why I saved words? it
1: for the that's why I saved it for the seven line.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's where I added coalescing. I
1: was like, ooh. <laughs> ooh. What is it? Haikus are pretty but they don't always make sense. Refrigerator. Refrigerator. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Okay, so
0: planets form by essentially you have this big disk that will become a solar system and stuff falls into the middle of it to make the star and then the stuff floating around the outside that doesn't fall into the middle can form into planets. Um, So to keep it simple and to save everybody's brains from this point on, we're not going to do any more math. We're just going to remind you that the planet... Is roughly a one eighth sized planet in terms of its volume, and it's got half the gravity. Deal? Okay. Great. Deal. Great. I love it. So we're just plain smaller. What would that change about the planet that we're living on? Firstly, Earth's core, right? Earth yeah. is smaller, and so we are. Its little, its little core is, is little. It's even weirder It's a wee uh, little. little, wee little tiny Earth. <laughs> well, it's uh, spinning iron car. <laughs> so. Most small planets don't have particularly strong magnetic fields, which are Mm -hmm. quite important for life. Earth now has a pretty good magnetic field. It protects us. That charged particle field protects us from solar wind. So the magnetic field of the we Earth would be also smaller or non-existent. We have a magnetic field now because there's this iron core in Earth swirling around. Why is it swirling? Because Earth is hot on the inside. And so it's cooling off and it's rotating. And all of that ends up creating this dynamo that builds the the magnetic field around us. Without those Mm -hmm. charged particles... The surface of the Earth is going to look more like Mars than it does like what we have now. So whether or not this we Earth has a powerful enough magnetic field uh, is tough to say, right? We don't we don't know. There's no way to know that. But let's assume somehow that we still have one. Mercury's is only 1% of our strength uh, magnetic field. Mars doesn't have one. You know, half radius we Earth, let's say, has one just to give life a fighting chance. We Earth also has another change, one quarter the surface area based on my math. So less surface area means that that the horizon is closer. Um, We Earth is about a quarter of the surface area of now Earth, or about 120 million square kilometers, which means, you know, it doesn't really change much, but it's kind of neat to say, like, oh, well, you can't see as far. Standing mm. on uh, at sea level, you wouldn't be able to see as far into the distance before things started mm. to drop below the horizon, which is kind of cool That's cool because the wee earth is curving away from you more quickly than right. you would. Well, not a huge change, right. but you know, it's kind of fun to think about. While standing at sea level, also the atmospheric pressure is going to be half because atmospheric pressure is based on our gravity. So an easy way to think of atmospheric pressure is the, the weight of the air between you and space. So mm-hmm. it's all of that air pushing down on you right now. Something Pushing like. down on me. No one asked for. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Sorry, had to. (laughs) (laughs) So we'd have half that pressure, which just means a a lot less atmosphere above us. Um, So we Earth can't hold the air as close to itself as now Earth can. So because of that, we have uh, just less air around. And less air has a lot of effects. Like this is a pretty lower air. This would be the equivalent of of us living at 5,500 meters or about 18,000 feet. Up in our current atmosphere, that's quite high up. There's not a lot of atmosphere. It's 50% less air than we have now. Uh, so that means a lower boiling point for all fluids, um, so like water would boil Ooh. at 20% less temperature than it does now or about 80 Celsius um, oh. or around 200 a little less than 200 Fahrenheit. There's less water vapor in the air just because there's less air. There's less oxygen in the air because again there's just less air. <laughs> I mean it, it's it's that's not super ideal for life. That said you know life did evolve without oxygen so oxygen itself is not the only yeah. thing we need. We need other stuff too you know it was in water uh, but that water was being warmed by volcanic activity in a lot of cases, right? We were keeping the water warm to keep it ideal for life. So not having a super strong atmosphere is not a deal breaker, but again, it makes things a little more complicated. Um, Okay. Especially because larger planets cool more slowly than smaller planets. So like Mars might have some Mars quakes. You know, we've detected them. We know they're there, but it's not the same as Earth. Like Earth is tectonically very active relatively to Mars. Mars is cooler than Earth On the inside of its planet Mercury has also cooled Venus and Earth They have not yet So they have tectonic Mm -hmm. activity We think Mars used to maybe have life Because it used to have this internal heat That was reshaping the crust And bringing all this heat To the surface of the planet Uh, You know, right now You find a lot of really cool life Near vents under the oceans in Earth And that's likely where our life came from But if you have a smaller planet It cools a lot sooner And so we might not have seen As much life be able able to come up, which is interesting. And now, of course, we have volcanoes that create fertile soil and, you know, lots of minerals and things like that, kind of churning that that crust to give us mm. a little more chance for life to catch on
1: yeah just recycling yeah. yeah and bringing new stuff up but yeah yeah so
0: we've Very got this cool.
1: cold
0: wee earth that doesn't have as much air it doesn't have as much water available to life it's not as warm it just might not be around for long enough to be, let life form but then we've also got that half gravity and that's really wild as well so less gravity means less gravitation both on the surface but also right. around the planet right how do you typically describe gravity when you want to get complicated you know but not too complicated
1: the classic analogy right is the like surface of a trampoline yeah and then like something heavy kind of caused that dip in the in the surface and so things like roll towards the dip Right. It's like right. a it's like a 2D visualization of a 3D bending of space. Yeah. yeah. It's what I always imagine. That's I think that's a
0: really good one. I use the you know, those things where you put a penny and they were like the mall or the arcade or oh, whatever, yeah, and yeah, it yeah. just like swirls around until it gets near the middle and then it drops into the bottom to donate to, you know kids with cancers or, you know, whatever, you, whatever hospitals nearby. Um, mm-hmm, so th- mm-hmm. that's another it's has been basically we just described the same idea. It's this like right. kind of slow curvature with something in the middle. And so right now, if you think of Earth being one of those, a trampoline right now, we've got a smaller trampoline. We don't have as much influence around the actual planet. It can't affect as big an area. This turns out to be really big deal, as far as I can tell, mm. because okay. Earth got its water, we think from comets and other oh. things that flew by if we Ooh. have less gravity would we have less water would we have less stuff on the planet the gravity of we earth can't pull things from as far as away
1: as a gravity of a bigger earth so hmm. that,
0: which I think is just so interesting I, to, to 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 ponder.
1: Yeah. So these comets though, I mean, they're orbiting the sun, right? Yes. And they're they're heating up as they're approaching the sun and they're, you know, melting and leaving like uh, that water in their trail or whatever and then I guess the thinking is like when we sweep through that trail we're like scooping up some of that water I think that's on part of it for
0: ourselves I think some of it too is when we were kind of a proto planet still and there was just a lot more stuff in the solar system stuff hit oh us more. yeah you know just like we were just getting around. hit by stuff because there was yeah. just more junk Out in the solar system. And so there's these comets of like dust and rocks and ice and we're using our gravity. We're not using it. It's happening. You know, it just exists. Mm. So they're getting caught in our gravity as they're orbiting the sun and just happen to fall onto our planet and deposit their water and their minerals here. And if we have less gravity, we just have less opportunity to pull them in. They might get pulled in by Jupiter or one of the other planets.
1: You know, you Jupiter don't... pilfering our water, that Ugh, jerk. Jupiter. But actually probably saved us from a lot of impacts with the big old gravity. Thanks, Jupiter. <laughs> Thanks, you. I take it back. Thanks, Jupiter um, <laughs> But I like to think
0: that maybe because we are so much less, we have just half the gravity, we may not have pulled in Thea.
1: And that the, is a huge The object... One. That smacked into us and resulted in our moon. We think, right? We that's did that right. on a previous episode. That's right. So our episode
0: with Ali Mateo. That's right. So Thea is this. This is what they call this object. They think hit us, which ended up forming the moon and like re-liquefying our crust with the huge impact that it caused. So without enough gravity to pull Thea toward us, what if we didn't? You know, what if we just didn't have enough gravity to capture it and it was captured by a different planet or just mm. ended up, you know, in the asteroid belt? Or, I, you know, I don't, I don't know enough about the early solar system. I'm just postulating all sorts of yeah. things here based on what we know. But no moon means severely reduced tides. It means a different weather system. It also means, Julian, you mentioned the tilt of the Earth. Mm-hmm. And so Thea helped, our moon helped stabilize that tilt. So we would tilt as much as 45 degrees. Uh, And now we only are tilting like about 23 or so. And that tilting is what moderates our weather. So it's pretty predictable. Without that, our weather could be much crazier. We'd have different, like our winters would be really harsh and our summers could be really hot. And it it just could change all sorts of things, including the length of the day. Because if we don't get hit by Thea, we might not slow down as much. Um, Yeah, uh,
1: we were spinning a lot faster, you know, early days before our moon started forming and like pulling on us right and like yeah of tug tugging on the rotation of the earth and slowing us down yeah because um, it creates like a bulge right and then it pulls on that bulge a little bit yeah oh yeah. man so we'd be on possibly like a much faster spinning uh more barren yeah colder, uh, <laughs> low gravity less colder air rock Maybe as much
0: water, but probably less water. Um, And Mm. right, it's really interesting to think about whether life could form at all on a planet like that. Right? If we have a a smaller planet, is likely going to have a different day-night cycle. Um, There's really no calculation for what a day-night cycle is going to be. There's not like, oh, well, a planet of this size has a day-night cycle of that. Like that's there's no rule for that. And in fact, when they, when I was looking this up, they're like, well, the best way to know what a day-night cycle would be for a planet is to watch it and, and, (laughs) and like watch it a thousand times and see how long it takes to get back to where it started. And like, like a
1: year, we can know how long a year is predictably from like distance to the sun, but day, totally different ballgame. Because they're
0: all completely different. So Thea's impact changed it, but also um, there's just not a direct, it's called the uh, sidereal day. There's not like a a good calculation for that. Every planet Planet is sort of different. In is those that ways. how it's
1: pronounced? I've been saying sidereal day my whole life.
0: So, yeah, I, so I started doing this PBS Stargazers show a few years ago, and so now I have to talk about astronomy, and so I had to look it up, and it is sidereal. Oh. I got corrected on the show. Once. Oh my gosh! Because I also wow, call it sidereal because that's what it is. It's the word side and real, it looks and like they together. But it's wow. sidereal. Yeah. How good to know. So if it, it, it let's kind of go both ways really quick. If the day were slower, and we had a longer mm-hmm. day, that would affect how much atmospheric heating. different parts of the planet are going to get right if the day is slower the sun is shining on places for longer whether that's going to be good or bad Don't know. If there's less atmosphere, maybe it's good. We end up with some places that are getting heated enough in order to grow plant life. If it's, you know, maybe not good, then we end up with something more barren. And again, this is dependent on whether there's a magnetic field to to stop all of those charged particles from shooting onto that one place for longer. If there were longer, shorter days, there's less heating, which might mean a colder planet, but, you know, it's it's just so hard to say. So even if life did form and got past its microbial phases and through some kind of great oxygenation event, which it would have to either go on for longer or work harder to make enough oxygen to get to plant life the way we have now. You know, it would just get really messy to even mm-hmm. think about how to make life like us. And MoMA mentions like, I wonder how human technology would be affected by this. And it's like, are uh, we
1: even gonna have humans? Uh, that's what I'm assuming. You know, like <laughs> the the funny thing, I think there's like a very um, common kind of misunderstanding of evolution and whatnot uh, that a lot of people who don't understand it as well Tend to disregard it because they're like, Well, how come we're so perfectly suited? The earth is so perfectly suited for us, and it's like, No, 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 no. yeah, entirely opposite. Other way around, right? Like, we are not Thanos.
0: We are not. Inevitable.
1: Yes, exactly. (laughs) Like what whatever life like does form and take shape or whatever is gonna have to work in the environment that it's given. Yes. And and so, you know, who knows what that looks like? I love like programs that talk about what could life on a gas giant look like? And it's like maybe they're giant floating balloon organisms, (laughs) you know, like
0: (laughs) who knows? There's no way to know. I think you'll appreciate this too. The Coriolis effect. Effect would be different oh yeah yeah because yeah. the way the Coriolis effect works now if you don't know what it is um it's like oh, of, cor- the- of
1: course I know what it is <laughs> but why don't you remind me why don't you remind everybody listening yeah <laughs> the the rotation of the
0: planet the atmosphere rotates differently right because the ground is what's rotating and the atmosphere is being essentially pulled along as it falls into the planet because of gravity the gravity's sort of holding on to it um but it's like mm-hmm. kind of behind the planet, if you will. as So as it's rotating, it's throwing the the air around, uh, causing all of these different swirls and you know turbulent flow. There's a really good YouTube video about it. Um, I think Derek from Veritasium made it. It's really great. Um, so Coriolis effect is cool because the ground at the equator is moving really fast and the poles are moving really slow. And in fact, mm-hmm. if you're standing on the Earth's pole, you're essentially turning super duper slow. But if you're on the equator, you're like booking it around the planet. Right. And on a smaller right. planet... A planet that's one-eighth the volume, has less radius. It's just a smaller Ooh, planet. The Coriolis the effect difference. is lessened. Uh, yeah, that makes so sense. And so that, I think, is really neat, which might mean <laughs> more powerful cyclones in some places, but it also oh. could mean just less weather in general, just less weather. And with right. no moon, even less weather and less tides <sighs> and less everything. So it just really hammers home that life doesn't just happen. We have all of these really com- complicated things that exist that allowed us to not just have life happen, but that it was stable enough that life could continue for long enough to get to us. There are things though that wouldn't change, which I think was interesting. Uh, Kepler found in orbital mechanics that planetary mass does not affect orbital period around the star. Nope. Which is cool. Yep. So Makes the year sense. would be the same, which is cool. nice. Good news. Yeah. Kind of cool. Uh,
1: don't but, have to relearn that.
0: Yeah. You don't have to relearn it. and But you might have more days or fewer days in that year. But yeah, I just, I love the positivity that all of this would lead to us happening. <laughs> and like, <laughs> just exist, lo- like, st- without all of these stabilizations, we essentially have all of these crutches, you know, the moon, the size of our planet, all of those things have happened. And we are just so darn lucky that they all mm. did because it's stable enough for us to exist.
1: Yeah. I don't know Trace. I feel like if um you know the dominant life form on wee earth was like basically jello, like <laughs> sentient jello and sentient jello Trace and sentient jello Julian, I think we'd still find each other and make a a blob cast. Like a like a like a cube like a cube of jello like full yeah, yeah yeah like dragons. a gelatinous cube yeah <laughs> that moves perfectly in your six by six hallway or whatever yeah exactly um so that's funny because i i was trying
0: to wrap this up and here's what i wrote i think you're gonna like this and it's funny that our brains worked a similar way i wrote less atmospheric pressure means that there's less lift from pushing on the air so there's probably no flying animals uh which means dragons are still fi- fiction however if you did have an animal that could generate its own heat internally that might be beneficial but if there were bipedal human style things oh, there no. they would be smaller in stature
1: oh my more God. efficient at,
0: po- at processing oxygen you seem upset they i already have, know where this is going they have would have more body hair to stay warm yeah. and of course would probably want to hang out in warmer more cozy parts of the world um maybe near <laughs> like volcanic middle, activity like
1: like a Middle Earth kind yeah, of yeah, like of the a world. Middle Earth. Maybe
0: they would have you know nice heavy articles of clothing, uh, and maybe drink alcohol to open up their blood vessels, and perhaps oh maybe yeah. some of their friends would delve greedily and deep into the underground where it's warmer. Mm
1: hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, just we Earth.
0: It would just have little hobbits, we little earth.
1: dwarfs. Well, just like uh, yeah, and it's. Running around I realize that's where you When you started with Hobbit Earth I'm like he's coming back to Hobbit Earth isn't he He's coming back And for all the fantasy nerds I know that middle means like middle time period of Earth Not like this Yeah not the middle of Earth Come on don't come at me I did look it Um, up
0: though And the the surface area of Middle Earth is supposed to be like One point something million kilometers And the surface area of We Earth being 120-something, I was like,
1: well, darn it,
0: I can't get it exactly, but
1: that's fine. Eh, you know, it can't all be perfect. Look, Tolkien was, a, was a, more of a linguist. He wasn't like a physicist. That's <laughs> right.
0: So anyway, to, Moma's, to answer MoMA's question, uh, how would life have evolved if Earth was two to three times smaller? I don't think it would have. I honestly think there are just too many barriers, but if it did evolve, it would be so radically different from us. Uh, Yeah, as to be unimaginable. It's just, you know, however, whatever fantasy you can come up with, that is just as likely almost as almost any other. It's just, we just have no concept of what that would look
1: like. I I mean, even given Earth as it, you know, did exist, the directions that things go, it's all just like my favorite description, right? It's like non-random selection of random mutations, right? So like you've got that period of time where the, the dominant life forms that spread across the world right are like these reptiles with special hips and feathers you know and then like you hit a hard reset and fast forward millions of years and like the life on earth looks completely different like we you don't even have to change anything it's like if you just started again from scratch the exact same way. Yeah. Like who knows what's here instead of us and everything we see. That's right. Which I think is a cool thing to think about.
0: I think it is super cool. Yeah, that is a I mean, I even mentioned I like that you mentioned there's a reset. That's something else that I didn't put in here, but it's like a lot of our great extinctions have come from stuff hitting us, and maybe they wouldn't yeah. have hit us, which means there wouldn't be resets, which again makes it even less likely that mammals and then us would have come about because whomever yeah. showed up first, you know, post-great oxygenation and the extinctions that are caused by us, you know, now. but
1: Or like, you know, you'd mentioned that plate tectonics might slow down and stop... much earlier and uh, some of the extinctions we think might be caused by like these new continents forming and like the flow of currents and weather changing so much like it is it is such a massive um variable that you introduce so early in this equation that leads to like the present day that you know the butterfly effect the the differences down the road are just Unfathomable Astronomical you, you, Yeah You it's cannot just, you never know. Picture how different It would be Which is kind of a, I feel like a cop out answer For the show But it, I think yeah. it's
0: true This is why this one Was so hard I wanted to give MoMA A satisfying answer Of like Well people would Look like this Or you know We would do that And it was just yeah. It was ne- It wasn't coming together And I think a big part Of that is just we, we There's no way For us to know And mm-hmm. There's no way that, that we are inevitable So yeah, oh, Man I it was, think it's
1: why the the shrinking answer is so much more prevalent because you could say, OK, if we take everything now and reduced yeah. it down, then yeah. what happens? Yeah. And that's easier to fathom. But the we start smaller question. Yeah, is like
0: right. the formation means that we'll just if you start at a different thing than what we are now in any yeah. capacity, there may not be an us. Yeah. Wow.
1: There's almost definitely not an us. <laughs> like, what a great
0: way to start 2024.
1: We're almost anyway, not going to be. Hey, you know, be happy you're here. How about that? Yeah, you know, be It's happy been a here. rough couple of years. Any number of things could have meant that wasn't the case. That's right. Uh, and, and so the fact that you're here is a, like a statistical improbability and just grab it and run with it. Just be yeah. so glad it's you here now getting to experience it.
0: Right here, right now. Watching Aww. the world wake up from Aww. history.
1: Wow. Is that a reference to something? It's a music song. It's a oh, music song. good. good mu- now that's what I call music.
0: Yeah. Now so, that's what I call oh. we earth. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, thank you, Trace. You're very
0: welcome. Thank you, MoMA, for asking that question. And thanks to you for listening to this episode If That's Absurd, Please Elaborate. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. This show was created, written, and produced by me, Trace Dominguez. And me, Julian Hugin. It was also produced and edited by the wonderful and
1: wonderfully talented Kyle Sisk. A special thanks to the listeners who submitted questions featured in this episode. We had one anonymous listener and MoMA. If you yourself come up with a question you'd like to ask us, please don't be shy. We've got a form for you to fill out in the show notes, or you can email us at hello at that's We've even got a website, that'sabsurdshow.com slash ask these questions are the lifeblood of the show they give us so much joy they're so fun to tackle and frankly we just couldn't have nearly as much creativity as all of you seem to have all the time so please keep those questions coming we really appreciate it and it's what makes the show go and finally
0: a very special special thanks to those of you who listen on Nebula thank you also for writing in that you listen on Nebula when you ask a question Nebula is a streaming service where you can support creators Um, you can get ad free versions of the episodes and even support other independent creators and listen to our show without ads all you have to do is uh, join with our link and you can support the show directly that way nebula.tv slash that's absurd show is the link you can find it in the show notes as well
1: we'll see you for the next episode in the meantime remember reminder to come up with a catchphrase before we record what a good phrase i love it (laughs) you said it buddy
0: it's so stupid